Today's episode is brought to you by Sacrate. Are you looking to add quality concrete, mortar, and stucco mixes, as well as repair and specialty items to your product lineup? Sacrate provides the tools you need to run a better business, whether that's through exceptional customer support, sales and marketing tools, varied product assortments, or just finding reliable products. Sacrete offers knowledgeable retail experts that understand the needs of your store. To learn more, visit www.sacrate.com slash hardware retailing. Thank you for tuning in to the last episode of the year for Hardware Retailing's podcast, Tell Me More, hosted by myself, Renee Shagnon. Today, we're talking to Dan Trottencheck, NRHA's Executive Vice President and Executive Editor of Hardware Retailing. He's also the host of our other podcast series, Taking Care of Business. Dan has been with the NRHA for 24 years and has extensive knowledge of the inner workings of the independent hardware channel and the retailers that make it such a great industry to serve. Thanks for being on my show, Dan. Do you mind introducing yourself to our listeners? Not at all, Renee Shangnan. <laughs> I'm, as you, you did a very good job of introducing me, I'm Dan Trotencheck, um, and it is true that I'm the executive vice president with NRHA and executive editor of Hardware Retailing. And I have, in, in 2020, I will have been with NRHA for 24 years. So, so yeah, I've, I, I'm, I'm, I'm rapidly approaching to the point where I will have been with NRHA more years than I was alive before being with NRHA. Not quite there yet, but getting close. Mm -hmm. So tell us about your time pre-NRHA. I guess they would call it, you know, BC, but instead of BC, it would be B-N-R-H-A. And kind of what led you here, I guess. Sure, yeah. Um, I was incarcerated for 15 years. Some people are going to believe that part. No, um... My, my background was um, as I was a journalist, um, you know, I was a journalist most of my career. I don't know that I call myself that anymore, but um, I was going way back. I was born in the uh, Chicagoland area in Joliet, Illinois, not in the prison, but uh, near the prison. Um, and when I was about 10 years old, my family moved to Southern California where I did most of my growing up. Uh, I, I suppose. And back then, from about high school on, the only thing I wanted to do in the world was be a newspaper reporter. I just thought it was, you know, it was uh, the coolest job ever thinking that, you know, as a newspaper reporter, you're kind of a historian, you kind of get get your job is different every day, and you get to learn about so many things. So um, when I went to college, that's what I, I studied journalism, I was the editor of, of two different college newspapers. Um, and it wasn't, it was sort of towards my, uh, senior year in college where I said, you know, I, I had actually at that point, you know, worked in journalism and in part-time kind of ways. I was a sports writer and, and did some things. And I was like, I don't know if I want to do this. And I decided I wanted to be an English teacher. And, um, so I, my senior year of college started getting all my stuff together to, I wanted to teach high school English. And, uh, but then I got a job offer and it was with a company I really respected and a, and a, and a gentleman who was a great mentor to me, a fellow by the name of Bill Anthony. 
I had done an internship um, working for his company, which was called Daily Planet Publishing. He was a big superhero, uh, uh, Superman fan, and he ran something called the Inland Empire Business Journal, which was a business journal, business magazine. Uh, to that point, I had done some news reporting and some sports writing, but I really liked the business journalism aspect of it. And he gave me so many great opportunities, and I just learned so much about research and the way business um, is covered uh, working for him uh, that I worked for the Business Journal for a while. And that was out in California. And as, as the story goes, I had met a, a young woman out in California, and uh, she was from the Indianapolis area, and we ended up getting married. And because, um, you know, in California for $250,000, you could rent part of a cigar box to live in. Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, we decided, <laughs> let's, as we start, want to start a life together and family, let's move back to the Midwest. So I moved back to the Midwest, where I worked for uh, a couple of uh, things that, that the people may remember called newspapers. Um, <laughs> and I did both news writing and sports writing for the newspapers. And I actually worked at a newspaper. Uh, it was a small daily newspaper in a town called Shelbyville, Indiana. It was the Shelbyville News. And I always like to point this out because one of the interesting things about working for the Shelbyville News was at one point, when I was working there, the Shelbyville News had the highest subscription rate for its coverage area of any newspaper in the U.S. Wow. So it was a small newspaper, you know, in terms of overall circulation, but in terms of market penetration at the time, I, I forget what the number was, but it was something ridiculous, like 80% of the residents of Shelby County subscribed to the Shelbyville News. Anyway, it was it was a, a you know a great paper to work for, but I worked with a a, a, a fellow there, um, who as we were both kind of starting families, he actually wanted something that was a little bit more of a nine to five job, and he 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 got a job here working for Hardware Retailing Magazine as an editor, and he and I had lunch one day, and he said, hey man, you know, this is pretty cool. I actually work from nine to five. It's not like you're on call every night it's not kind of the crazy hours of a newspaper he said you you know we're looking for someone here you should come and apply and i applied and 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 got the job and uh and you know kind of the rest is 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 in the books i uh, um i really enjoyed it i i mean it was it, i still it, looked at it as going back to kind of somewhat where my roots in business mm -hmm. journalism but it was focused on one particular industry and then as i got to learn more and more and more about the about the industry, the more I liked what I was covering and got to know more people, and, and that's where I've been. Yeah, so can you explain to someone who's listening who, you know, either they know us from just the association side and they don't think of the magazine, or they just think of the magazine and they don't think of the association, can you kind of give a, a broad stroked like visual of how our company is set up and, sure. and how it kind of works? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, a, a couple of things that, that, that listeners may or may not know is, one, NRHA, we're, we're a not-for-profit association, which, which really means that, that everything we do, we don't have any stockholders, we don't have any owners, so everything we do, all the revenue that we generate is turned back into creating programs and supporting independent home improvement retailers. And we've also been around for 119, soon to be 120 years as an association. And for most of that time, we have had the magazine Hardware Retailing um, as our primary kind of communications tool for the, uh, for the uh, industry. Um, in fact, in our, in our boardroom here, 
I know you've been there, but we have volumes of our magazine that go all the way back to 1904. And it's, yeah. it's you know, when I'm, when I'm walking around the halls of NRHA at night in my smoking jacket, smoking my pipe, um, <laughs> I'll sometimes go to the boardroom and thumb through the leather-bound volumes of hardware <laughs> retailing. And, um, but it's really interesting to look back at what was going on during World War One in the industry and yeah. during World War Two and all that stuff. But um, as it is modern day, not much has changed. Hardware retailing is, one, it's a vehicle that we utilize at NRHA to communicate what's going on in the industry. But, but we also, we view it really as a educational tool, um, is that Hardware Retailing Magazine, and when I talk about the biggest change probably is when I talk about Hardware Retailing Magazine, it's now not just like a print magazine. Yeah. It is a, it is a family of of media uh, kind of tools because we have a print magazine, we have this podcast, we have an electronic uh, newsletter, we have a website. So there's a lot of ways we communicate through that hardware retailing vehicle, but we we view as as really kind of an educational component because we try to provide information in the magazine and through those other sources that help fulfill our mission at NRHA, which is to help independently owned home improvement retail businesses um, run better operations. So that's why we try and talk about things like employee management or merchandising or inventory management, all those things. And, and, and having the magazine to not only communicate what's going on in the industry and the association, but also to provide a regular steady flow of content and information and educational resources to retailers, we think is is incredibly value to, uh, valuable to us. And it's probably one of the reasons why we've, we've built such a strong bond with our, our readers um, is, is because we provide that kind of information and because so many of these independent retailers engage with our properties. You know, you have the other side of the channel, the manufacturers and distributors who who want to use this kind of uh, information pipeline that we have to communicate their messaging. And, and so for the association, Hardware Retailing Magazine as Properties is also one of the primary ways that we generate revenue through the advertising and support of manufacturers, distributors, other channel partners. Um, and it's really important to note that that revenue that we generate from those from those different channel partners, because we're a not-for-profit, goes into supporting other programs that we create. Um, yeah. So it, it's it's kind of like this great engine that keeps feeding the association and then keeps taking that the things that the association produces, communicates them out. So it's kind of like this engine that keeps generating revenue and generating content and and kind of step and repeat. So yeah. So what are some of your, like, I guess, earliest memories working for NRHA and kind of how did your, how has your career evolved over time to where you're at today? Well, I started here as an assistant editor on the magazine and um, some of my earliest memories of NRHA uh, were just the people that I was working with. I loved the group of people that I was working with and that's always kind of been a constant here at NRHA. Um, uh, and, um, you know, but, but the other thing that really struck me when I started working here was um, pretty quickly when you start meeting retailers and you understand that what I'm doing, tr we're trying to help small business owners and try, you know, yeah. and one of the reasons I wanted to, when I was in high school, even go into journalism is because I had these, 
you know, somewhat idealistic views about, you know, a journalist, a reporter, ultimately you're trying to help people. And, and, and that's what I really got probably even more a sense of here was, man, if, if we write a story or we do a research project and having someone tell you, hey, that actually helped me in an aspect of running my business, I was like, wow, that's really cool that what we're doing is not just, you know, kind of theoretically helping yeah. people. There were people that would say, no, this really helps me run my business. And and so that was kind of what got me hooked a little bit in, in working at NRHA. Both, I really liked the company and really liked the people I was working with, but that, that you know, kind of feeling that what I'm doing has tangible kind of results out there. Yeah. Um, do you have a favorite, like, article or piece you've worked on over the years that, like, sticks out in your mind? Um, oh, there's there's a lot of a lot of stuff. I mean, it's been, for one thing, it's it's probably <laughs> it's been a while since I've been writing like feature articles for the yeah. magazine. I do my column, but but a lot of the stuff that I really enjoyed doing were the research based articles. Yeah. I I love working with numbers and love mm-hmm. doing surveys and all that kind of stuff. And you know, in the old days, we would call that kind of enterprise reporting, where you where there's nothing there, but you go out and create a story yeah. and. Um, and one of my kind of mentors on the editorial side was a fellow by the name of Walt Johnson, who was um, kind of our research guru here. And I learned so much from him about doing research. And I remember one particular time when we were doing a series of stories about it was the first time ever that the top three home improvement chains were competing in the same market. So mm-hmm. it was Home Depot, Lowe's, and Menards until this point have ne- had never been in the same market competing against one yeah. another. So we went to Rockford, Illinois, which is where this was kind of going on. And we wanted to determine, okay, now we got these three you know, heavyweights in the same ring, which one is are the consumers gonna come choose. out, uh, you know, kind of choose. Um, so we did exit interviews with consumers at all these stores to determine kind of what they liked and didn't like about them. And, of, you know, the funny part is, you know, Home Depot doesn't like people standing in their parking lot yeah. do, doing interviews with their customers, nor do Lowe's and certainly not Menards. So we were kind of doing this clandestine sort of yeah yeah. and we would have one eye looking for the next person to interview the other eye looking for (laughs) you know security gonna bum rush us out of the parking lot and uh and so based on the timing of this it was interesting because it was also we happened to be in rockford illinois in like february doing these and we were just there was like you know i was i was wearing a ball cap just to keep my head warm and there was like an inch of snow built up on my ball cap and 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 Walt and myself, who were doing these interviews, we kind of looked at each other and we're like, we would always have this kind of joke where we'd say, man, wouldn't you hate to do this for a living, having to go around to, to different stores and stand out? And, did, and at that point in time, we both looked at each other and said, you know, we always say that, but I guess that is what we do yeah. for a living is go around and do that. But, but you know, we, we loved it because we would get all this data, we'd come back and we'd look at it. And and particularly when it's stuff that, conclusions that would surprise you, like what we yeah. found out of that was that, in those kind of markets, consumers saw Home Depot and Lowe's as kind of being the same thing. One was a blue box, one was an orange box, but they yeah. saw a real point of difference with Menards. Yeah. So what they would tell us is, I'll shop at either Home Depot or Lowe's, whichever one's closest to me, but then I'll also shop at Menards. So we're like, oh, wow, that's kind of a key finding that we yeah. figured out. And uh, 
And that was kind of a point in my career, too, where I transitioned a little bit from being a editor, reporter, researcher to where people started saying, hey, Dan kind of has done a lot of research on this. So let's ask him to come to our event and speak about it. And yeah. then that kind of launched me into that other phase of my career. And now I, I definitely speak more than I write articles. And, For sure. Yeah. So. So that was that was pretty memorable. Did you did you ever have uh, like the big box companies coming and, and looking and kind of sniffing around seeing what we were doing? Because I know we always look at them. But would you say over the years you've seen anything where you've gotten outreach? I know even I, th- I think I saw on our database that either Home Depot or Lowe's used to use our training resources. Yeah, which is kind of crazy. You know, I think it's important to remember, Renee, that a lot of these companies, well, all of them really, Home Depot, Lowe's, Menards, they started as smaller companies. And mm-hmm. and when I first started here, um, you know, Home Depot was really just beginning to be at the point where they were like this. Neither Home Depot nor Lowe's at that time was a national company. They were yeah. all still relatively super regional, if you want to say that. But, you know, and, and so there was a cloudy area for a long time of, well, NRHA is here to help retailers. They're a retailer, you know, and so yeah, back then, NRHA had done a lot of employee training for Home Depot in those early years until, until the point where Home Depot said to NRHA, you know, well, listen, now we have a team of trainers that's larger than your you know entire office, so we don't yeah. need that anymore. Um, but uh, we have engaged with all of those companies. At, it's it's been certainly quite a while, but in, in the past we used to run something called the Home Center Institute, mm-hmm. um, and Menards and Lowe's, um, and for a time Home Depot were all members of that. So yeah, we used to engage with them on our regular basis. Um, they don't reach out to us so much anymore. Yeah. That's certainly not the case. But uh, you know, um, it's just really. You know, that's not what we're here to. Yeah. Uh, we're not here to help those guys. Yeah, exactly. uh, we're, here, we're here to help the other side. But I mean, we certainly have a cordial relationship with them. It's yeah. not kind of an antagonistic relationship. Um, you know, we, we've had people that have been asked to leave the stores and things like that just because they don't like people sniffing around on their in their stores. And, yeah. And, you know, that's that's just part of the part of the nature of the beast. Yeah. So 2020 is right around the corner. Um what do you see for the future of NRHA, hardware retailing, and I mean, I guess even the industry in general? What are some of the things you see heading into this next decade? Well, it, you know, it's, it is it is really interesting to, to, to sit here and think that we're starting the 2020s. I it's just I still remember like New Year's Eve 1999, like it was uh, it was yesterday. I was I was dressed as Prince. It was, it was <laughs> ugly now. Um, but, you know, I, I think that we always see changes um, in the industry. And there's a quote that I've used in some of my presentations, um, and it's actually by a gentleman who is a screenwriting consultant. He has nothing at all to do with the, um, with the home improvement industry, but, but, but in discussing screenwriting, one of the things he had said was that any kind of change attracts attention. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I hate to fall into the trap of saying, what is the latest thing to change? And, oh, my gosh, that's what's going to shape the industry. And so that's why, why I use it in some of my presentations, because I, I, I just remind people that 
you know, I've now had enough years in the industry to see the rise of the big boxes. And everybody was saying, oh, the rise of the big boxes, that's going to be the, that's going to be the nail in the coffin for the independent hardware stores. Now, now we're looking at companies like Amazon, and there's a lot of people out there that say, oh, that's going to be the nail in the coffin for independent businesses. And, and these are just changes, and these changes attract attention, but you, you need to pay attention to what's changing. Mm-hmm. And, and I think what we're seeing change more than anything else is just the way consumers behave. Um, but and, and there's no doubt I think going into 2020 and 21 and 2022 we're gonna we're gonna see the, that trend of consumers wanting to consume and wanting to shop in different ways is going to continue. Um, what, what I think is different now than has been different before is the speed in which that change happens. Um, and so I think that uh, what independent retailers need to be aware of what NRHA needs to be aware of and what we need to we need to help independent retailers navigate through is what are these changes what what, what how are consumers changing now um, that's different than what we've seen before and and you don't really need to uh, be a, a researcher or a journalist to see some of those changes every one of us has got a smartphone in our pocket I mean it's amazing to me that that right now there's a higher percentage of households that are that it's a subscribe to Amazon Prime than have cable television or landline telephones. Yeah. Um, y- you know, it's it, so those are changes that we need to be aware of, and I think that those are things that are on the horizon. And um, the most difficult part of our job, as you know, whether it's um, advisors uh, um, or, or advocates for independent businesses is to make sure that they understand what's going on out there. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of times some people will say, retailers we talk to will say, well, I don't see that in my market, so I don't believe it's happening or I don't think I need to do anything with my business to adjust to that. And it's our job to, you know, metaphorically mostly, grab them by their shoulders and shake them and say, I know it's not in your market, but it's coming. And if you're not ready for it, you're not going to be here. It's Uh, like pointing out the shark fin in Jaws. That's a great, that's (laughs) exactly right. I mean, no, the shark is not grabbing onto my leg, but its fin is 15 feet away. And, um, and, And that's what I think our biggest challenge as an association is going to be to do is, I mean, we got to we, we got to continue to provide tools. We got to continue to provide education and training and all those other things. But but what we also have to do, what I see as a higher calling for NRHA and the distributors in the industry and the manufacturers in the industry and the retailers who want to step up and be leaders within the industry is to grab all of the independent retailers, shake their shoulders and say, guys, these are the changes that are coming and you need to be aware of. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how would you say, speaking of changes in the future, you can kind of look back at, at the past 24 years. How has the industry um, changed during your tenure? And um, what are some of those biggest blips along that timeline that stand out? I mean, obviously, probably big boxes, but, but can you maybe name a few things that look in retrospect, you're like, oh, those were some of the big changes and shifts in our industry? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that... Um, Obviously, the the rise of the big back big boxes made a lot of uh, a, a pretty big impact in in the industry, but again, the biggest impact was being able to understand what they are doing that is appealing to consumers and how you have to react to it. 
I mean, other changes in the industry, the, the biggest one that continues to happen is just consolidation. And I know yeah. everybody answers that way, but, but, it's, but it's really true. I mean, when I came into the industry, the number of manufacturers, the number of wholesalers and distributors serving the industry was so much uh, more complex than it is now. And, and, um, and, and I think we're seeing that at retail, too. I, I mean, we are seeing, and I mean, our trends and our research at NRHA shows that there are um, more multi-store owners. There are more, there are fewer owners owning more stores. Mm-hmm. And, um, y- you know, there also used to be a day, and I think that we're starting to see this change a little bit. There are no doubt plenty, and then the majority of the industry still is, single store operators. But 24 years ago, I think there were a lot more single store operators um, who could make a, a, a great living and 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 do a, run a great business running a single store, and I'm not saying you can't do that today because there are certainly many who would who, who would dispute that. But I think that there are more owners now that think, in order to see the kind of growth I want, in order to see the kind of income I want, in order to kind of build the business I want, I have to start thinking beyond a single store and start looking at one, two, three stores to kind of reach the kind of scale that I want to reach to, to build the kind of operation I want. And I think with the, demographically where we are in the industry right now in terms of succession and so on, I think the next five years are going to present a lot of opportunities to owners who, who want to grow from one to two to three to four stores. Definitely. Um, so what are some things about retail that excites you the most right now? And what are some of the things that you think retailers in our industry could start doing? Whether it doesn't necessarily have to be just in hardware, but like retail in general, are there any trends or things you're seeing that you think are awesome even from a consumer perspective? Oh, yeah. I mean, a bunch of stuff. I, I, I mean, I think that... Um, First, I'll start with just some stuff that's taking place in retail in general. I, I mean, I think that there are there are advancements in retail, um, but sometimes everything that, that a retailer considers an advancement isn't necessarily an advancement on the yeah. part of the consumers. There has been a revolution in convenience, you know, that has been brought mm-hmm. about in the last five years. The ability to, right now, during this podcast, I could pick up my phone and order you know, everything from Bing cherries to barbells and have them delivered to my house. Um, that's a, a revolution in, in convenience. But, I mean, there's also things going on in retail that um, that uh, a retailer might consider convenient that aren't. For instance, over Thanksgiving, I was visiting with my mother and I had a conversation with her and she spent about 10 minutes just ranting about Walmart self-checkout. And she's like, being being a, a woman in a particular demographic, um, you know, age group, she she is not scared to voice her opinion. And she was talking about how she was just at Walmart. All they're offering is self checkout. She hates self checkout, so she complained to the manager about why are you forcing me to check out all my own stuff? And he tried to convince her that it was more convenient, and she was telling him that it wasn't more convenient, and she hates it, and she wants someone to check her out, and you know. And, and so there's, you know, a very something going on in retail that on the surface it might sound good. Whether or not it has legs, I, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Um, but then again, some of the other stuff taking place in retail that is just so revolutionary is, um, you know, I, earlier this year I had an opportunity to uh, attend the, the Global DIY Conference in, in, that was held this last time in, in Ireland. 
and they had home improvement retailers from all over the world that presented there. And it was it, it was really eye-opening for me to a couple things. One, to, to hear statistics like 85% of all transactions taking place in China are mobile transactions. Oh, wow. And, and they were showing pictures where literally the, um, the homeless people in China have barcodes that if you want to give them money, you scan the barcode so you can give it oh to them gosh. using your mobile app. Wow. Because they're real, and the, and the government is pushing to move closer to 100% mobile, uh, you know, virtual transactions. That's that blew insane. Me away. And there were, I mean, they're on the cutting edge of a lot of technology and things like that. Yeah, too, I, I, so. but I think that a lot of people don't necessarily think that. Another retailer that I believe was either from the Ukraine or Russia was presenting something that just blew me away as well. They had created a virtual room in their store with a couch, and then there were these ultra-high-def monitors below you and all around you where you would sit on a couch and you would have a, like a tablet in front of you, and you could bring up different cabinets and different flooring and different wall coverings, and the, it was such high resolution that you could really see if I go with the walnut cabinets with the gold pulls and do this kind of flooring and this color on the walls, what it would feel like in that room. Interesting. And and so some of those things, well, you know, sure they're experimental, but there's all these things that are coming kind of from all over the world that are really exciting in retail. Um, you know, another uh, some of the other things that I always like to point this out too is that. A lot of people just think that all the innovation in retail is coming from the big boxes or Amazon. We just um, last week had our State of Independence conference, and we had one of the, the focus of the conference was change. And so we spent a good bit of time talking about technology, and we had several independent retailers that, that came in here and talked about the technological solutions they're implementing in their business that are just so you know, far ahead of what you see anywhere else. And I just want to say that, you know, all the technological advancements and everything that's exciting at retail isn't just happening at the big shops. Yeah. It's also happening at independent retailers. A guy like Matt Woods from Woods Hardware over in Cincinnati, who's 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 built this virtual store that you could walk through and then you could actually select products off of the virtual shelves and mm -hmm. put them into a cart to buy them to Eric Hassett out in California who's who's got all kinds of, of wayfaring assistance in the store, all kinds of virtual and um, electronic guidance and information systems that they use in their stores um, to uh, the, the um, app uh, based uh, handheld devices he has his employees using to help customers. I mean, this is really leading edge stuff and it's coming from independent retailers. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on at retail that I'm really excited to see how it's going to play out over the next five years. That's awesome. Um, when you meet someone new in the industry, what do you, what do you do to explain NRHA? And I know you kind of went over the structure of our organization, but like if someone's coming in and they have no idea about who we are and what we do, how do you really explain like what our purpose is to them? Yeah. I mean, it's really kind of easy is that, you know, our purpose is to be um, a support system for independent retailers. And, and why NRHA is, is, is unique is that, that I, mean, I mean, there's no doubt you got to give a lot of credit to the distributors in this industry, the manufacturers mm -hmm. in this industry who provide support to independent retailers every day. And it's, and it's a big reason why independent retailers continue to thrive in this industry where they've, where they've not had that kind of success yeah. in other retail sectors. 
Um, but the one thing that NRHA does that is different from anybody else out there is we're if you we're, we're non-denominational. We're we're Switzerland. I, mm -hmm. I mean, we don't have a set list of of uh, things um, that we're trying to to sell or push to retailers. We we really listen to retailers of all affiliations, of all sizes, and say, where do you need our support? And then we direct our efforts to providing the support to them in that area. And, um, and, and there's no one else that, out there that's like that. So what we try and do is, and, and, and this is a big part of what we do, is bring true value retailers together with Ace retailers, together with Do It Best retailers, together with Orgle customers or, or Blish Mize customers or House Hassan customers and, and say, hey guys, we can all learn from each other and NRHA is here to be that place where you can all come together mm -hmm. and where we're gonna share information with everybody to make everybody stronger. Yeah. And, and there's no one else out there that's like that. And I'll add to that that, that we hear from all of the distributors you know, in the industry we appreciate what you guys do because we yeah. want our our uh, members and our customers to learn from any place they can. Yeah. So I think that the distributors in this industry have really learned that if they're going to be successful, they need their customers and, and members to be successful. So whatever that takes, we'll do it. So we get a lot of support from that community as well. Yeah. Um, so who are some retailers or industry leaders who've, I guess, inspired you over the years? Is there anyone that comes to mind that's really made an impact on and what you do in your job on a day-to-day -day basis? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that, I, I mean, it's been humbling in so many ways to see, I mean, some of the best leaders I've ever encountered have been part of this industry. And I've learned from so many people that are are in that retail and, um, and distribution and manufacturing areas. I mean, some just some companies that, that 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 you learn about I, I don't want to you know necessarily mention names here but just these companies that do amazing things that that people don't necessarily even know about and the leaders at those companies but on the retail side i mean you know i think we've been really fortunate to to know some of the people and see what they've done um i, I think a, a few that would would come to mind for me um are People like I mean, one I think without a doubt one of the nicest retail formats I've ever been in, at least appealing to me, are the Buckheit stores. Um, and Tim Buckheit, who served on our board, and and the Buckheit family who runs that operation, I would encourage anybody to get out and see these stores. I mean, I describe them as a as a, a combination of a, a, a farm supply store, a hardware store, a Cracker Barrel, and a Bass Pro kind of all rolled into one. And and I use them a lot as an example of, of a business that's like, these are real rural locations. They're not mm -hmm. like met, major metro areas, real rural locations in Missouri and so on. So when someone says, listen, my market doesn't demand that I be more than what yeah. they expect as a hardware store or a lumber yard, or I, I don't have a lot of competition, so I don't have to do that. Here's a family and a group of people that set out and said, no, we're going to have the best stores that are, and they are some of the best stores out there. Um, another great example is Hartville Hardware um, over in Ohio, one of the most impressive retail presentations you've, you'd ever want to see. And, and the people that, that work that are part of that the family that run it are just some of the the best nicest people you would want to know 
I think that, um, you know, just to, to mention a couple of names here, um, you know, that I think are, are important to, to mention, the Avishan Hardware up in the Northeast. And, and I, I, I just want to mention this because it's recent, is Marcus Moran, who was a leader at Avishan Hardware, who just passed away very recently. But we were just talking about it and, and saying that Marcus Moran was such a great example of someone who was not content just to run his business, but he thought it was so important to give back to the industry. And he was so focused on sharing. Here's what we've done that's made us successful. If you can take it and be successful. He, he, didn't, he wasn't worried about, well, you, this is a competitive secret. He, he said, how could, I mean, he became a, a teacher in some of our uh, management classes here where he said, man, I want to teach people, other independent retailers, what we've done that's been successful. And I think he is such a good example of a leader, but someone else that, that we love dealing with here at NRHA is someone that says, it's the spirit of NRHA. It's, yeah, I'm an independent, but I know we're stronger together when we work together. And, mm -hmm. and he really embodied that example, um, you know. So uh, folks like that and, 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 and all the way down to guys like, you know, someone new to the industry like Joe Franquina, who, who uh, you know, has gotten a lot of attention here lately, runs, uh, runs Crest Hardware out of Brooklyn and does so much for his community. He's just a single store operator and he's a young guy, but he runs a great unique store and is so involved in his community. And and as he became involved in the industry, he said to us here at NRHA, what do you guys need? I'll be wherever you want me to be. I'll help however I can help. And and those people are just like, great. Uh, I mean, and, and really been, I feel privileged to kind of be able to work with people like that. Definitely. Um so what do you, I guess, enjoy most about this industry? Um, you, you know, the thing I, I, I enjoy most about the industry is um, <laughs> it's, I don't know how to say this without being sappy about it, but it's a very kind of pure pursuit. I mean, you, you know, these, the, the people we work with are, um, are for the most part down to earth people who want to do, do good for their communities and when you think about all the rhetoric that you hear, and we'll be hearing so much of this next year, about Main Street America and small town America, the folks that we work with and the people in this industry, that's who they are. Mm -hmm. and, and I think to a large degree, a lot of them resent being trotted out there as, you know, as, as the a... backbone. Right, yeah, you know, and, and okay, we're going to be in a lot of political speeches, yet so many, so often politicians of all stripes turn their back on Main Street America when you're when you're cutting deals to get Amazon in your town and when yeah. you're and when you're giving tax breaks to these big boxes and large corporations a lot of the time that's being done on the backs of these small business owners and 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 that's that's incredibly frustrating because the 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 economy is built on these small business owners. They are the guys who pay their taxes and figure out ways to run their businesses while doing that. And and the beyond just parent paying their fair share when it comes to taxes, they're also supporting little league teams and supporting local hospitals and other local causes and patronizing other local merchants. And so often. Um, they're not. They're they're only trotted out when it's when it's good to you know um, put them in front of a camera and and pretend like you stand behind them. Yeah. Um, so I guess my last question is, what kind of advice would you give to a retailer who's just getting started in the industry? The 
biggest piece of advice I would give is, well, I can't just do it in one piece of advice. If it was just one piece <laughs> of advice, I would say look beyond your four walls. Mm-hmm. You're not alone. And one of the biggest things that, that, that will doom people in this industry is when you think, I'm an independent retailer. It's a blessing and a curse. I'm independent. I can make my own decisions. But then you're also putting yourself on an island. Mm-hmm. So I would say get beyond the four walls of your store. Go to your distributors' markets. Go to the National Hardware Show. Become part of NRHA so you can start meeting other retailers who have been through and seen the same things you've seen and they've navigated those waters and they can provide real boots on the ground advice to you. Because like I said, people like Marcus Moran and and guys like that that just wanna say, I wanna help these guys survive. If you don't look beyond the four walls of your store, you're never gonna meet people like that and you're never gonna have access to that wealth of information. I mean, you know, don't get an MBA. It's a great slogan here. Don't get an MBA, join (laughs) NRHA. Oh, I like it, yeah. Because the truth of the matter is that you will get such a real world education just by talking to other retailers who have seen so much and are so willing to share. Um, Mm -hmm. So that would be my one piece of advice. Well, that wear comfortable shoes that and wear comfortable second, shoes. Second I like that. <laughs> I like that. Well, thank you, Dan, so much for being on the show today. If anyone's listening and wants to hear more from Dan and or just listen to his voice, you can go to Taking Care of Business and subscribe today. Um, and he has several episodes on there with some great um, guests that he's talked to it, since we started both of our podcasts earlier in 2019. So stay tuned, and there's there's more good things to come in 2020. Thanks again, everyone. Did you know that if you're an independent home improvement retailer, you are already a member of the North American Retail Hardware Association? The NRHA has been in existence since 1900 and serves its members in a variety of ways. From Hardware Retailing Magazine and our two podcast series to exclusive research and events, the association is here to help you become a better, more profitable business owner. To learn about what NRHA is doing for you, visit nrha.org. Thank you.